0: Well, I, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. My, my wife and I have been in Tennessee, and that was a very special time for us to see family and friends. And I got to preach at the Calvary there where I was ordained a couple of times. I did a wedding while I was out there. That was really wonderful. Um, the groom, I started calling him by the wrong name leading up to the wedding, and I started to really panic. And so I had people praying for me, and his name was Reese. So I got a pack of Reese Cups, and I put it inside my notes, and I was thinking, Reese, Reese. And so uh, God blessed it. I did not wreck the wedding, and I thank the Lord for that. Um, But, you know, it's so good to be back. Um, As I was sharing with some of the brothers this morning, the first time I went back to Tennessee a couple years ago, I was really homesick at that time, and uh, it was very intense when I went back to visit um, how much I... Loved that place and how much I think my heart was still there. And uh, this time when I went back, it was like, eh, it's okay. And so uh, that really showed me that my heart is here now and that, uh, you know, I've really adjusted. And Napa is my home. And uh, coming back was so refreshing to see all you guys. And, um, you know, I love you. I love this church. And I love what God is doing here. And I'm glad to be a part of it. Amen. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. And then um, one other thing. You know, their churches are on every street corner. It's, It's amazing. It's totally different than out here. I mean, they're everywhere. And you would just have to see it to know what I'm talking about. And they have these marquees out front. And so often they have these cheesy little Christian sayings on them, you know, like, if you want to avoid truth decay, brush up on the Bible, you know, just silly stuff like that. And there's this one church where I can tell that the pastor is, he must be over it or something. Because every time I go by there, it's just some little snide comment or whoever's in charge of doing this marquee. And so I came, I came by there one time and uh, what did it say? Um, have you prayed about it as much as you complained about it? That was the first one. I was like, okay. And then the next one said, one thing you'll never hear in church, we're early, let's get started. And I was like, man. So then I drove past the other day and I said, I know they're not going to let me down. And it said, looking for faults, use a mirror, not a telescope. And I was like, man, all right. So they're stepping it up. But you know, that um, the best one I've ever seen was online and it said, uh, whoever stole our air conditioner, keep it because it's hot where you're going. <laughs> yeah, that wins the award right there. So, anyways, that's just a, a whole nother culture out there. So, it's, it's kind of funny to, to, to consider. All right, guys. Well, with that, we're going to get into our study today. We are in Acts chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair somewhere near you uh, in the basket below. I would encourage you to grab one. Acts 27. Father, we love You and we bless Your holy name. What an honor it is to be able to come together with our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to worship You. And I thank You for Your Word, God. And as we come before Your Word, I pray that You would speak to us. I pray that You would encourage the hearts in here that need to be encouraged. I pray for instruction. I pray for correction, God. For some, they need just enough hope to make it another day. And so I pray, God, that You would be honored. I pray that You would be exalted here today. I pray that this time of teaching would simply be a continuation of the the praise and worship that's already been happening in this room. And so we, we trust, Lord, and believe by faith that You will meet us here, God, and You will speak to us through Your Word. And we thank You for that. We praise You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, well, we are wrapping up the book of Acts. We have today and then next Sunday, and then we'll be done, and then we're going to go into Romans from there. And so, as I said, Acts is about 30 years of church history from the ascension of Christ into heaven and then the birth of the church, and it can be broken into maybe three groups, if you will. The first 12 chapters, Peter is the the primary character or player in the book, and it's really uh, localized to Jerusalem and what God is doing there. But in chapter 13, um, the Apostle Paul really becomes a prominent player in the book. And from 13 to uh, 20, I believe, roughly, uh, maybe 21, are the the missionary journeys of Paul. And I've had a, a wonderful time going through the missionary journeys with you guys And there are three that are recorded for us. And then finally, he's apprehended in the temple. And then he gives six public defenses on his behalf as he goes from court to court, from place to place. And this was all part of God's sovereign plan for Paul. He told him that he was a chosen vessel and that he was going to be a witness uh, to Christ uh, before rulers, kings, Gentiles, Jews. And so that's what we've been watching happen ever since Paul has been apprehended. He's been going from court to court and making his defense and preaching Christ. And so now he's finally making his way to Rome. And he's going to set sail on this uh, this ship. And let me just say this. um, This this chapter is quite a bit different, I think, than a lot of what we've been looking at up to this point. Um, It chronicles this journey by ship through very treacherous waters. Luke is known to be a very detailed writer. The the physician Luke, he's very linear in his writing and he's very detailed in his accounting. And, and that is certainly the case here today. He uses a lot of sailor language. He talks about a lot of things that really we would have no clue. I think the average person, I certainly didn't, and so some of that I'm going to try to explain as we go. I don't want to get too overboard with that. There's going to be a lot of technical stuff in this text, just trying to reconstruct the historical narrative here, what it looked like, and, and Luke was very careful to do just that for us. And also with that, um, this, this sermon, I'm going to take a little bit more liberty than I might normally and, and kind of make more spiritual parallels uh, just because I kind of felt it necessary to do so. Sometimes with the narratives, when it's just telling a story, there might not be a lot of teaching in there, real clear points that can be made. You're, it's kind of descriptive of a story that took place, and sometimes it's a little more challenging to pull things out, but I definitely think there are some spiritual parallels and lessons that could be pulled out, some applications we'll make along the way. So I just wanted to set the, set the, the tone there and... I have titled this sermon, Called into the Storm. Called into the Storm. God had a plan for Paul. He had a place he wanted him to go to preach Christ. But on his way there, it's disastrous. And it's interesting to me that so often when God calls us to something, He can call us into great difficulty. I mean, it could have just been smooth sailing. And I don't know why it wasn't, but... God, for whatever reason, He allowed it to go down that way. And so many times throughout Paul's ministry, he was shipwrecked, beaten, starved. And here, once again, we, we see him in the middle of this near-death situation. And so I titled it, Called into the Storm. And I'm going to talk a little bit about storms in our own lives so often. The, the treacherous waters that we, we navigate, the turbulence of, of different situations and God's faithfulness in it and really how we ought to carry ourselves in the midst of those because that's one of the things that we see. Paul is a shining example of a of a Christian man in a very difficult situation and how he carries himself. And even here, he's being a witness to Christ. He's being a testimony to Christ. And he's glorifying God in that. Um, so this is a very map-heavy uh, chapter and so I wanted to just kind of take you through on this map real quick Um, and we're just going to kind of go through through the whole course here real fast and I want you to try to keep this in mind because I'm telling you as we go through the chapter it can get very confusing because there are so many islands and cities that are that are named and different situations so just try to track with me here Paul is incarcerated in Caesarea so the first thing that's going to happen is he's going to go up the side on here. And then they're going to set sail. They're going to go up around here. And it tells us that they came this way basically to try to escape the turbulent winds. So they were on the leeward side. I'll talk about what that means when I, when I get going. And so they come past Pamphylia here. And then they come over to Myra. And once they reach here, that's where they actually get on a grain vessel, an imperial vessel uh, that transports uh, wheat and whatnot. And so they'll set sail from there. And then they're c- going to come around here to Nidus. And then their plan is to come straight across, but these, the winds are blowing so hard against them this way, they actually have to come down here. So then they come right here to Salmon, which is a promontory, which is just a, a body of land that juts out into the water. And then they're going to come around here with great difficulty, and they're going to land at Fair Havens. Now, at that point, Paul tells them, guys, we really should stay right here because it's going to get really bad, but they don't. They decide that they're going to leave here and come around to this area called Phoenix. And so as they try to make their way there, they enter into really the, 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 the terrible storm that basically pulls them out into the ocean. And so throughout the story, they're just floating out through here, being uh, driven by the winds, and then they land on this little island here of Malta. You guys got that? Okay. I thought it would be easier just to kind of go through it. Mark, if you would go ahead and drop that screen for me. I appreciate it. Um, I thought it would be good to kind of take you guys through that real quick. That way as we go, it will be kind of a little easier to, to follow. I love the cross back there behind me. That's why I wanted him to drop the screen. I'm a preacher of the cross. And so, to me, I love having the cross back there. It's all about Christ. Amen? Alright, well, Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium... We put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and to receive care. And when he had put out from the sea there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary." So Paul's finally on his way to Rome. He has so longed to go there and he has uh, so, so uh, passionately w- wanted to be there at the, the church in Rome and to, to bless the Christians and it just had not worked out to this point. Now it's finally happening. And I would say this is not the way that he wanted it to go down, but this is the way that it happened. He's going to make it to Rome and he's going to make it in chains, which is so often the case for Paul and his ministry. We're told that he was under the guard of Julius. This was a Roman centurion. He was kind of a big deal. Someone that would be over a hundred Roman soldiers. But Julius treated Paul with great kindness. And so we hear uh, we. You'll notice that in the text now. Now Luke is saying we. So he's back in the story at this point. Luke kind of comes and goes throughout this narrative. There are times when Luke is there with Paul as a first First hand witness of what's happening, and he's writing about it, and sometimes he's not. So now he's back with Paul, and he's traveling with them on this journey. We're told that Aristarchus is with them. Uh, if that name is familiar to you, he was seized by the pagan mob back in Ephesus in chapter 19. So this guy, he's the real deal. You know, he got t- taken out by a pagan mob there, and now here he is again with Paul, and they're going on this journey together to Rome. And it's just kind of cool that Paul was given kindness by Julius. You know, he'd been incarcerated in Caesarea for a couple of years now. And here, while they're in this place, he's allowed to go and see the Christian brothers and sisters and they they minister to him while he is there. And I just imagine that's such a sweet respite for Paul. And it's so good when God gives us those, isn't it? God knows just when we need those so often. And uh, that was a gift truly to Paul to be able to fellowship with his brothers and sisters. And I don't want to miss that. We could pass over that very quickly. But in such a difficult situation for Paul, I can't imagine the treasure that it was for him to simply fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ in this moment and for them to be able to love each other and for them to be able to care for, for Paul. And that's a wonderful gift that Jesus has given His church, His fellowship one with another. And it's something that we don't take advantage of nearly as much as we ought to, but it truly is a treasure if you've experienced that love that comes from being with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul was allowed that here at this time. So as they sail, we're told that they uh, find shelter uh, on Cyprus. And so I talked about how they went around that island of Cyprus. That is they were on the leeward side. And what that means is, is that the direction from which the wind is blowing, the island basically blocks that. And they're on the opposite side of the island so that they wouldn't be as wind blown. And so they will do that a couple of times as they're navigating around from one point to another. They kind of go around islands to try to stop the wind temporarily. And so, verse 5, the turbulence is going to start to, to, uh, to come, and we're going to see signs of danger. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, The wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So they made their way to Myra. I showed you that on the map. They they boarded that Alexandrian ship, that uh, imperial ship that would haul uh, wheat, so on and so forth. And with great difficulty, they began to make their way. To Nidus, there. Again, we're told that they found shelter on Crete, so again they went a certain way around Crete to try to to block the wind, and then they landed on. Uh, they went around Salmon. and with great difficulty, they finally made their way, way to Fairhaven. So already, you know, they're just getting started, and the difficulty is there, and it's going to build, and it's going to build. Uh, but Paul knows what's coming, and uh, you know that, that's been his ministry all along, really, is, is great difficulties like this. And so, Paul's going to give them a warning. Paul's going to warn them. So, verse 9, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was over, the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So we're told that the waters that they were entering into were very dangerous because the fast was already over. And I thought, what in the world does that mean? And so speaking of the, the Day of Atonement, that was a feast. It really wasn't a feast there in Jerusalem. It was a day of mourning and weeping and fasting. And so that gives us some indication as to what time of the year this is. Um And so between mid-September and mid-November, the seas became very dangerous there. And in fact, from that point on, they wouldn't even sail through there until the coming February. So the fact that the feast has already passed, uh, the fast as they refer to it here, they are in treacherous waters. Paul knows it and he's advising them, don't do this. Don't do it. He clearly warns them of the disaster that would ensue. And now it says that the centurion... Listen to the helmsman instead. What's happening here is this is an imperial fleet. So, because he is a Roman centurion, he actually is the one with authority on the ship here. So, he can listen to Paul or he can listen to the, the sailors. And the sailors said, Look, we need to go for it. We need to get where we're going. This is not a good place to stay. And he did not listen to Paul. And that, you know, let that be a lesson for us. Sometimes we need to be very careful who we're listening to in this life. You had a man of God there that was giving them a clear warning about what was going to happen. And then you had the businessmen over here who were probably thinking much more along the lines of we got a job to do. We need to get this cargo here. We just need to risk it. And the centurion had the, the authority ultimately because it was an imperial ship and he was a Roman soldier. And he, he gave to the voice of the helmsman. And he, he chose to go on as they had advised And so, I guess with that, I will just make a... You know, there are a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of voices that we are bombarded by on a daily basis. In our personal lives, you've got friends, you've got co-workers, you have other students, peers, and then you have brothers and sisters in Christ, pastors, spiritual leaders, people who would speak the truth from the Word to you. What voices are you listening to? And then you have on an even larger scale, we have the the leadership in the country. You have all the the things going on in politics today. There's so much happening out there. What voices are you listening to? Ultimately, you want to hear from the Lord. Amen? You want to hear from His Word. That That is what we're looking for. That's what we're listening to. Well, this guy did not heed Paul's voice. He heeded the sailors' voice and they went on. So now they're going to be taken right into the storm. So, verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire putting out the sea, they sailed close by Crete, but not long after a, temp- a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada. We secured the skiff with difficulty, and when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship, and on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. I noticed that first little line there. The wind blew softly. And they thought, hey, this is good. Alright, this is the time to go. And they were deceived by that tame wind. And I, I think about sin. Sin can be like that. It doesn't look so bad. In fact, it looks pretty good. And you go after it. And I've heard it said sin will will take you where you didn't intend to go. It will take you faster than you intended to go. It will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you intended to pay. And so they thought, hey, the wind is in our favor. Let's just avoid the warnings and go for it. And they did. And then they came into this wind here called Euroclidon. And so let me just read a, a quote to you from MacArthur. He says, Euraquilon is the preferred reading. It's from the Greek word Euros, which means east wind, and the Latin word Aquilo, which means north wind. It is a strong, dangerous windstorm greatly feared by those who sailed the Mediterranean. Uh, The New American Standard ESV may say it was a northeaster. Um, And so you you hear those northeaster storms and how how, uh, devastating they can be. So this was... This was a terrible windstorm that, they, that was most feared by sailors of the Mediterranean and they got caught in it. Isn't that amazing? So everything looked good. It was a nice soft wind. They thought we we're going to go for it. And then all of a sudden they got caught in the worst case scenario. The very worst thing that could have happened happened and they were taken all the way out into the sea there. And it was so bad they could no longer manage the wind so they just had to let the ship drive. They just let her drive. We're told that uh, they they secured the skiff, so the little boat there, they pulled it up on deck in preparation to... or not up on deck, but they they got it accessible so that they would be able to get away if they found an opportunity. And we're told that they undergirded the ship with cables. Now, this is actually a practice known as frapping, where they'll run uh, ropes around the ship and winch them down tight to help support the ship itself against the crashing waves and the wind, so on and so forth. We're told that they didn't want to uh, to hit the Sirtis Sands. That was another fear that they had. And that is a sandy shoal off the northern African coast uh, with the reputation of the graveyard of uh, ships. And so all this is going on here. They're exceedingly tempest-tossed. It says it was a ferocious storm. A ferocious storm. And in desperation... They were throwing things off the ship and they kind of start with the things that are not as valuable, you know, so they kind of start with what they can. They're throwing it off. And then it says that all hope was lost. Have you ever been in a storm like that in life? Have you ever been in a storm like that where everything's going fine? The winds are are blowing lightly And the next thing you know, you get sucked out into the ocean and the storm is upon you, and you are sure that it is all over, and you're frantically doing everything you can, throwing stuff overboard, anything that you can possibly do to preserve yourself or save yourself, you're going for it. But all hope seems lost. Yeah, I've I've been in situations like that before, and and I know all too well. But hope is not lost. Hope is not lost. We have the Lord. We have the Lord Jesus. And that has kept me going in times when I was absolutely crushed under the deepest anguish in my life. And you know, I had a brother tell me, he said, you know, the light is going to break through the clouds again. God is good. God is faithful. You can never forget that. He does not change. And He will always be faithful. He will always be good. And no matter what happens, we cannot give up hope. Because the Lord is able. That's one of the most amazing things about being a follower of Christ. We have this, that no matter what happens, God is able to use it. God is able to make us better in these kinds of situations and storms. There are so many wonderful things that God is able to accomplish through hardships and difficulties in our life. And when everyone else is looking around at the disaster, we can look up to Him. We can look to the Lord. Much like when Peter was walking on the water and it became very turbulent and he was struggling and then we're told that he began to sink. You know, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he cried out, Save me! And Jesus reached down and pulled him up. He said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you take your eyes off me and put them on the storm? And so whatever storm you may be going through right now, and I don't minimize that, you may feel like you are at the very end. You may feel like it is black all around you and there is no hope. There is hope. Hope in Christ. You know, that's what David said. You know, he he talked to himself sometimes. I think Pastor Bill, in fact, talked about that. And, you know, he says, why are you downcast, my soul? Hope in God. And so, having that hope, you know, it's kind of funny. My, My wife... Before she came to New Christ, she was a uh, she was a, an atheist and um, she studied um, ancient history. So she went on an archaeological dig over in Egypt. And so she was flying and uh, international flight. She was telling me it was crazy. They were smoking on the plane and it was just fogged out in there. It's just very different, right? Well, something happened and I don't know what the pilot did, but they nose dived real fast and she said I mean everything went crazy people were flying all out into the aisles and everyone was crying and panicking and you had Muslims that were there in the aisle praying and you had Jews that were in the aisle praying and you had Christians that were in the aisle praying and she thought I don't have a God to pray to you know it, it was amazing that dawned on her she thought I don't have hope and you know that's 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 an amazing thing to to come to that realization in a situation like that. And there is hope in only one, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, I don't don't it's a great story. I don't want to get that don't get confused. Christ, there's only hope in Christ. And so uh, as a Christian, we have that. If you are here and you don't know the Lord, you need that. You need to have hope for this life and you need to have hope for the next life. You need to have that confidence that we have that no matter what happens, God is good and is with us. And when this life is over, and it will be, we will stand with the Lord, forgiven, justified, glorified, and we will worship Him in perfection. Amen? And if you don't have that assurance, today is the day you can have that assurance. Put your trust in Christ. All right, well, verse 21. Now Paul's going to give a word of encouragement here. All hope was given up, and now Paul's going to speak to that. Verse 21, But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So we're told that they had not eaten a long abstinence from food, Um, one commentator said, obviously with, with the ship being in the storm as it was, it would be very difficult to prepare any kind of food, let alone eat it. But then you have the whole issue of, um, being seasick. And so the people were just frantic and they weren't thinking about food and they went many days without eating. And so Paul speaks up and says, you should have listened to me. You know, I don't always advise that, you know, usually the last thing people want to hear is I told you so, Right. But in this case, Paul says, you should have listened to me. You know, I've thought about this. There's been, you know, I don't, I don't ever pretend to have it all together. Like I've got it all figured out. And I think you guys know that. Um, if you've been around me any length of time, you do know that. Um, but, uh, you know, there are certain situations that you'll see people going into or they're in. And you can see it plain as day. You can see it crystal clear. And it's like, you know what, don't, don't do this. For this reason. Boom, boom, boom. And then they do it anyways. And sometimes it just blows me away. And maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're the one that's trying to be the voice of reason and you're telling people this and you can see the handwriting on the wall and they just do it anyways and then it goes bad just like you said it, it would. Or maybe you're that person in here and someone is, has been speaking truth into your life. Someone's been trying to love you and lead you, direct you into the right way and you're rejecting that. You will, uh, there will come a time when you will think I should have listened to what that person was telling me. You know? And so that, that's one of the struggles, I think, for a pastor oftentimes. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know what to tell somebody. I look at their situation and think, man, God help me. But um, you know, sometimes you, you can see it so clearly, but the person in it can't see it. And they don't listen to reason. And so Paul says, look, you should have listened to me. You didn't. Now look at the situation we're in. But, but God... This is so wonderful. Paul tells of a vision that he received. A vision that he had from an angel. This is the sixth of um, six visions that Paul receives throughout the book of Acts. And this one is an angel, and it's a message of hope. And the angel tells him that he must go before Caesar. Now, this was a promise that Jesus had already given Paul in Acts chapter 27 that he was going to go and that he was, as he had been a witness to Christ in Jerusalem and Caesarea, now he was going to be a witness to Christ in Rome there. And so Paul already knew this. Paul knew that that it had to be so. And so he stands up and tells the guys, look, I uh, I received a vision. An angel told me that we would make it. So take heart, be encouraged. And he said, I believe God just as it was told me. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to say that in the midst of a storm. And that, that does come with maturity, I will say, because there are times where when we are in a terrible situation and we're prone to forget God altogether or we're prone to think maybe God doesn't care or maybe God doesn't love us. Kind of like when Jesus was asleep on the ship and the disciples came and said, do you not care that we are sinking, that we're getting ready to die? You know, what had Jesus told them before they set sail? He said, we're going over. We're going over to the other side. What did they think? We're going under. And Jesus said, why did you doubt me? You of little faith. Again, and so how often do we do that? How often do we forget that God is good? How often do we forget that God is faithful? And that we can trust Him always. And that his his word does not fail. And Paul said, This has been told me, and I know it is the, the the truth, and I believe God, just as it has been told me. Let God be true and every man a liar. I mean he is always faithful. He cannot deny himself. He is the truth. Well, Paul comes with a message of hope and faith, but it doesn't get better right away. Often, Isn't that the case? Often things get worse before they get better. And so verse 27, Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, They took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I love that. I'll talk about that in a second. Verse 30, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So two weeks now they've been in this storm. It's the 14th night. And they sensed that they were near land. Now that's kind of odd. How do they sense it? The odds are they heard water crashing on the shore. And so they began to realize, hey, I think we're near land. So they it said they they gave a sounding and so what what that means is, is they had a rope with a weight on the bottom of it and they would drop it down into the water until it hit and they could measure on the rope about how uh how deep the water was where they were at and so first it said uh what did it say the 15 fathoms uh 20 fathoms and then 15 fathoms so about 120 feet and then 90 feet, if I'm not mistaken, I think is what I, what I had read. And so they could tell that they are rapidly getting closer to land, that it's getting more and more shallow. And so they dropped anchors and prayed. And I love that. You know, there, there is a sense of which sometimes we need to do our part. You know, we, we, we don't just sit back and say, okay, well, whatever the Lord does, the Lord does. They dropped anchors, they did what they could to stabilize the ship, and then they prayed. I heard a friend say one time, you know, just take two aspirin and pray. It's like, if you've got a headache, don't just be like, Lord, please cure my headache. You know, take some ibuprofen, pray, and move on. But, uh, you know, I'm being kind of facetious here, but, you know, it's, it's, that's important for us. Sometimes we know what we need to do, you know. And we just need to do what we're supposed to do. And and God will... will lead us along the way and, and provide as, as we need Him to. Alright, so the sailors at this point, they're trying to escape. They want to get off the boat. And Paul goes and tells the soldiers, hey, if these guys get away, then that's it for us. So the soldiers thwarted that plan and they, they cut the ropes to the skiff and then it was gone and now there, any hope of escape at that point was lost. And so verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, and you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and all took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So Paul pleased with them. Look, it's been 14 days. You guys need to eat. We're not going to die, but you're going to need your strength. And so they do. And um, Paul takes the bread. He breaks it. He blesses it. He thanks God. He begins to eat in their presence. And then they were encouraged. And this is such a profound lesson here. God, uh, Paul, what did he do here in the storm? He thanked God. He encouraged the people to take heart. He reminded them of the promise of God. And then he took bread and he broke it and he worshiped the Lord in the storm right there. He thanked God. He blessed God when he broke that bread and that's a real lesson for us so often when we're going through difficulties in our life that's exactly what we ought to do praise the lord bless his holy name thank him for his kindness and his goodness we may do a good job thanking god when when all is well but do we thank god when things are going poorly do we thank god when things are going badly you know i remember when i was first in u-turn for christ and i was sitting at the lunch table and we were at a church in New Jersey and um, a buddy of mine there that worked at the church was sitting there and he had a, a bad headache and he was just kind of slumped over in his chair and uh, we're all sitting around the table we're like brand new Christians a number of us and one of the pastors comes walking through and uh, he said man you all right and the guy said yeah I got a bad headache and he said praise the Lord and we just kind of laughed because that seemed so like weird that he would say that and that, that it was kind of weird I'll, I will I will say that, but. You know, he's like, God's still good. Praise Him anyways, even though you got a headache. And so, um, that's a challenge for us so often is to just uh, praise God in the midst of the storm. But Paul did that very thing, and the people were affected by that. You know, if we freak out in the middle of the storm, if we panic, what do you think everyone else is going to do? You know, are are you a voice of faith? Are you a voice of encouragement? A voice of reason? A voice of gratitude in your home, at the workplace, wherever God has planted you? Or are you the voice of panic? Are you the voice of doubt? Are you the voice of, God, why? Are you the voice of, God, how dare you? I would encourage us all, let's be the voice of thanksgiving. Praise you, God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you and we trust you. So they ate, and then they threw the rest of the wheat overboard. So now they're, they're down to the bottom. They've gotten rid of... You kind of see it happen progressively. They start throwing things out, and then they start throwing more valuable things out. Now they throw even the wheat out that they were hoping to get to the, to the final destination there. And so verse 39, And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach. "...onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go, uh, let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow was struck stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves." And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanting to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Alright, so the island that they're coming to is Malta. And we'll talk about that next week as we close out the book. But the ship got stuck before they got there. It sounds like they must have hit some sort of a sandbar. And they're still stuck right there in the waves. And they can't get all the way to the, the shore via ship. But while they're stuck, the waves and the wind is still crashing so hard, it is literally destroying the ship. So the soldiers want to kill the prisoners. Because if the prisoners were to escape with their lives and then escape altogether then the soldiers would face the penalty for letting those prisoners get away. And so they thought, let's just, let's just kill them all right now. And Julius said, no, no, don't do that. And his favor towards Paul really uh, went to all of the rest of the prisoners. They, they received mercy because of the favor that was on Paul there. And so, Julius said, let's just go for it. Let's make a break for it. If you can swim, swim. If not, grab a board or something floating and try to float your way to the shore there. And so, um, you know, they made it to land with their lives, but everything else was lost. Everything. The ship was destroyed the cargo was gone and they almost lost their lives by the soldiers, but they didn't. And they just barely made it to the shore. And all of that was so avoidable in the first place. All so avoidable if they would have just listened to Paul. If they would have just listened to the man of God as he was trying to warn them not to go. And, you know, God is gracious so often when we, we go through things that are... Um, self-inflicted sometimes the things that we go through it's not a mystery we do it to ourselves we brought it on ourselves right and God will bring us through it but there are consequences to those choices God's mercy is great and his forgiveness is there but there are still consequences for the choices that we make and so such was the case here they they received mercy from God mercy from the uh the soldiers and here they are with nothing but their lives. And I'm sure they were grateful for that. You know, let me I'm going to get spiritual here. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are going to make it to heaven like that. They're going to be saved. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. It says, as though by fire. They're going to have nothing to show for their time here. Uh, the idea, as though by fire. I mean, they're going to have smoke on their clothes. That's how like close they were to the edge. And so... Uh, Man, what a tragic day that will be when we stand before the Lord empty-handed because we spent this life on ourselves. As Christians, God has given us influence. He has given us resources. He has given us giftings. And we spend it all on ourselves in this life. And then when we make it to the other side, we got nothing to show. It all burns away because... The unbeliever will stand before God at the great judgment seat, and he will have to give an account for his rebellion against God. He will have to give an account for the things that, that he has done uh, wrong in this life that has not been paid for. They're held to account because God is, is a judge, and justice will be served. But for the Christian who has put their trust in Christ, the penalty has already been paid. And so Christ has taken that punishment upon Himself on the cross. He's lived the life that we could not live, a life of perfect obedience to the Father, and then He died the death that we all deserved, and He suffered the wrath of God on that cross. And then He died and He rose again from the grave three days later, victorious over sin and death. And so to the Christian who has put their trust in Christ for salvation and forgiveness... We will not be judged before the great throne judgment because our sins have already been judged on the cross. But we will be judged for the things that we did for God. And that's going to be a matter of why you did what you did and how you did what you did. Did you do anything for God or did you do it all for yourself? And the things that you did do, did you do it to be seen by men because you wanted the praise of men or did you do it for God? And so that's a a warning I would give to all of us Christians in here. To the unbeliever first. Do you really want to stand before the, the throne of judgment and have to give an account for your sin, for your transgression? Because we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And you will. There will come a day when you will have to give an account. and There will be nobody standing there with you to point at. It's going to be you and God. And you have to account for, number one, your sin, and two, your rejection of the Son that He, he gave you, that opportunity, that gift, and you rejected that. Don't, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you here in this place today. Choose Christ. Put your trust in Him for salvation. Receive the forgiveness of God. But to the Christian, you know, how are we spending our lives? Are we gonna be like these people who arrived on the shore with nothing but their lives? Or are we gonna arrive in heaven with nothing? Will it all burn up because we spent it on ourselves or we, we did what we did? We used what God gave us for glory, for our own glory? May that not be. May that not be. So I just want to close on that note. And you know, just as Paul went right into the storm. God called him right into the storm. I want to to leave you with this. Christ went right into the storm. That was God's wrath for us. Christ endured. He drank the wrath of God that was meant for the nations for us. Such is the mercy. Such is the kindness. Such is the grace of our God. And I would want every one of us in this room to know that mercy. Amen? I would want everyone in this room to know that love and to know that grace. And if you don't, put your trust in Jesus today. Cry out to the Lord for mercy and for forgiveness. And to the Christian, serve the Lord. Praise the Lord. Obey the Lord. Give Him glory because He's worthy. Is He not? Amen Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We worship Your holy name, God, and we bless You in this place. And I thank you that we have been saved. Thank you, Jesus, that you went right into the storm of the Father's wrath for us, God, so that we could be saved from the wrath of God and from hell and from sin and from death. And now we stand here glorifying you and exalting you, God. And we love you, Lord. And we thank you for speaking today through your word. We thank you for meeting here with us. And I. I pray, O God, that as we go out with a song that You would be enthroned upon the praises of Your people. Father God, receive glory in this place. Be honored, be exalted, be worshipped. In Jesus' name, Amen.